It seems then, said the unicorn, that there is a real Tash after all. Yes, said the dwarf, and this fool of an ape who didn't believe in Tash will get more than he bargained for. He called for Tash. Tash has come. Where has it, he, the thing, gone to, said Jill. North, into the heart of Narnia, said Tyrion. It has come to dwell among us. They have called it, and it has come. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Chase. And I'm Kel. Thank you for joining us. Just a reminder that today we're talking about the seventh and last book in the series, The Last Battle, but general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we do go on tangents into the other stories that we enjoy. We'll do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything too far out there, uh, too far off topic. But today we are discussing The Last Battle, Chapter 8, What News the Eagle Brought. What news did the eagle brought, Chase? I mean, this is a deceptive title because that eagle doesn't show up to like the last page. It's literally the last two paragraphs. We've the thing made, would have been a good look. C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis, going like he's like I'm in my last book. I'm halfway through. I've not made good chapter titles until this point. I'm not gonna stop. Yeah, why start now? Why start now? But you know what? I can start now, Chase. Is a summary. Go for it. <clears throat> in the shadow of the trees on the far side of the clearing, they saw something moving. If you remember, they looked up in the last chapter. This is the thing that they saw. So glad that we had t- turned the page for this one. It was roughly the shape of a man, but the head of a bird with a cruel curved beak. It had four arms, which he- it held high above its head, stretching northward as if it wanted to snatch all of Narnia in its grip and all twenty of its fingers had long bird-like claws. After one look, Puzzle screamed and darted into the tower. Jill hid her face in her hands to shut out the sight of it, and the others stared for a minute before the thing disappeared into the trees. The sun came out, and they could breathe again. Eustace asked what it was, and Tyrion told them he had seen it once before, but at that time it was carved in stone and gold with diamonds for eyes, and above the altar in the Tisrox Palace, may he live forever. It was Tash, and the foolish ape who didn't believe in Tash was going to get more than he bargained for, since he was the one who called for him. It was more moving north into the heart of Narnia to dwell among them since they had called it. Then they went to look for Puzzle, who they found hiding and shivering, waiting for the thing to go away. He exclaimed that he really had been a, a bad donkey for going with Shift. He never would have guessed that something like this would happen. And Eustace was about to start saying something about trying to you know, think more, but Jill comforted Puzzle and said, hey, let's not even worry about the things that have happened. It's over. Uh, and kissed him on the nose. They all went on with their earlier ta- or talk. And Jewel told them how he had been beaten and threatened with death if he didn't say uh, he believed in their fake Aslan, and he had actually been scheduled to be executed that morning. The questions they had now had to decide was whether to go back to Stable Hill and try to show them all the fake Aslan, or to meet up with the king's army and return in force. Tyrion weighed the option in his mind, but they decided to go and try to meet Root with Runewit and the army from Carepel Vale, which is obviously going to turn out really well. They washed off their Calamine disguises and put on their normal clothes. They told Puzzle he would probably have to keep his lion costume on a bit longer so that they can, you know, show the ruse off. Uh, and they packed some biscuits, locked the tower, and then they left. They walked along and the children finally got to take in some of Narnia's beauty as they went through the woods in the early spring. Because what is a C.S. Lewis Narnian book if he doesn't get to talk about how beautiful Narnia is? Narnian trees, English trees, all the trees, Chase. Joe remarked, 
uh, how it had always seemed like so much was happening and going wrong in Narnia. And Jewel told her, actually, only you guys are the problem because Narnia is generally pretty peaceful. And, you know, the sons in, of Adam and daughters of Eva, the ones that usually come and, you know, when things are not great. Uh, and they talk about the history of Narnia. And Jill's like, man, I wish Narnia could just go on forever and ever. And, uh, you know, let's just hope that it does, Chase. Uh, sure. But uh, the party stopped, stared up at the sky where they saw a talking bird and an eagle above them. It had seen them already and was coming down in a large circle. The eagle, Farsight, hailed him as king, but told him he had bad news to share. He had seen two terrible sights. One was that Care Paravel was filled with dead Narnians and living Calamines, where the Tisrock had invaded and now flew his banner on the, banner on the battlements. The other sight was Rune with the Centaur, lying dead with a Calamine arrow in his side. The eagle had met with him in his last hour and brought a message for the king to remember that all the worlds draw to an end and that noble death is a treasure which no one is too poor to buy. So, said the king after a long silence, Narnia is no more. Well, that's the end so of the like, so I'm really like, like, you know, those times I, I, it's like something is like, it's a shadow, but it's in the foreground. It's like a foreshadow, you know, like whenever like Jill is like, man, I wish that Narnia could go on and on forever. And then immediately like narrator voice comes in. It's like, and Narnia was no more. And it wouldn't. <laughs> little did, little did Jill know Narnia was about to end. You just see Job riding through the background on a uh, on a moped. <laughs> you thought <laughs> uh, the bit of foreshadowing that really got me in this chapter was when it said they would try to go meet up with the army from Caraparavel. Yes, uh, let's. Louis let's wasn't even willing to concede. Like, oh, they were going to go and meet up with the army. That's just what they decided. He said. They will try to go and meet with the army. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's well, try. that's not going to happen. Yeah, let's, uh, you know, let's let's just hope, you know, uh, and and hope that things get better. And then he's like, but they won't. Don't worry. And it's like, wait, no, that makes me worry more. Uh, but Chase, the things that is potentially the most worrisome, especially if you have an illustrated copy of this book, is freaking oh. Tash. Tash? Golly. Here's the thing that I really struggled with as I was reading this chapter this morning. Uh, first is that my dog, who has just come up to let me pet his head while I'm saying this sentence, kept doing that while I was trying to read and distracting me from reading. Um, so sure. you hear dog sounds in the background, that's what's happening. But also, that I could not figure out if Tash was in the sky or on the ground when I was reading okay. Two pages, and I had to reread those first two pages like three times to figure it out because the illustration really glad you is just terrifying. Yeah, it looks like he's walking, and yes. the description is they looked up and saw this thing, and then suddenly it's like, oh, but it's like kind of along the grass. I'm like, wait, is it in the sky or is it on the ground? Yes, I'm really glad you said that because I had the exact same thing. And, like, maybe I just inferred that he was flying because they were talking about, like, in the previous chapter, oh, like, the clouds are overhead and, like, there's, you know, a shadow. Yeah, and, and they then, say he, they look up. Like, were they looking right. at the ground before? Maybe. Or, like, I guess they're just, you know, looking up, i.e., like, looking straight ahead. And, like, they – but then he goes, it was gliding very slowly northward, which, like, gliding is a flight term. You yeah. know, 
And when they say, especially that he's holding his forearms high above his head, stretching northward, <laughs> I'm like, okay, so like, is this like a Superman, Superman. situation? And he's pointed north, so his hands are no, north? no. He's he instead he's just a monster from Monsters Inc. going ooh, like just running around. Yeah, which if if there was ever a reason to follow our Instagram at Chronicles of Podcasts, it is because I will post this image no, at some point no. this week because I that is one of the only things I do for our social media is, is post the fun picture so, from the book. It is so like it it is understandable. Because it talks about him having four arms and like we we come to the conclusion. Obviously, he's running, which is weird because he's a bird man. Figured he would be flying, but alas, he's running uh, with four arms above his head and twenty fingers that are all talons, and is you know Birdman head with like smoke and shadows like flying behind him. And like this dude is terrifying looking. And like Puzzle runs into the tower. You know, Jill is, you know, covering her eyes. Everyone else is frozen in terror. And they're like, what is this? And like, thank goodness for Tyrion, who is like apparently gone to the Tizrox, uh, may he live forever, foreign exchange program. Uh, and was like, oh, I've seen it. That's Tash. Like, except this was just a statue before. This is the real thing. I mean, it really makes you question why. Susan and Lucy and Edmund and Peter were all going up and hanging out with the Tisrock back in the day. If this is <laughs> if this is their art dude that's painted over everything, it's like maybe that's a red flag. Maybe you should get yeah. out of there. It's a red flag, and it's also like this is like imagine trying to like sleep with the like because you know like in in palaces and things like that, there's religious iconography everywhere, you know. And if this is their religious figure, like, can you imagine trying to sleep with these things all over? Like, oh this is terrifying. Like, this, like, how does, like, even people who believe in Tash, like, are, are you not, like, terrified of this guy? Like, this thing would fill your nightmares as a kid. I mean, he literally always has his hands up in a, I'm gonna get ya pose. Like, <laughs> is, he a, is he a Scooby-Doo villain? I probably if you if you take off Tash's mask, are you going to realize that it was? Oh, it's the caretaker of the house. It's been the caretaker, old man, old man, old man Jenkins. <laughs> yep, and I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you, sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. If it wasn't <laughs> kids and your unicorn, <laughs> raggy raggy roo. Uh, sorry. I just you, know, you see Terry eating all the food in the tower in the background, <laughs> like Zoinks Jewel. Uh, he's having a great time. Look, this is the better version. Come, of, yeah, I would watch this. We've, sure, <laughs> it's Narnia, but everyone's just Scooby Doo characters. I mean, let's be honest. Scooby Doo back in the day would have absolutely had them dress up as Calorines. Oh. Absolutely, and, and that's it would have probably been an episode of of <laughs> Scooby Doo back from like yeah. The those are those are the ones that Warner Brothers doesn't want to show you. Yeah, but, they're put on streaming. Yeah, and uh, and they're still not going to get anyone paid for it, which is crazy. Uh, but need to make things anymore. Yeah, uh, but 
once they, you know, uh, they realize like, okay, this is Tash. They make sure that Jill and uh, like, she's all taken care of. She's good to go. And they talk about like how, well, what did like, this is what you had to expect. Like the Narnians and like the Calormines summoned Tash and Tash has come. Like yeah. this is the, like the, you know, consequence of your actions for calling upon something like this. And I I'm intrigued by this commentary because like, so the dwarf at the very end, Poggins, uh, he comes up and he goes, people shouldn't call for demons unless they really mean what they say, which like is a really interesting phrase there. I mean, I feel like I've had that conversation with kids and Ouija boards before, but <laughs> 100%. How many times, Chase, you and I have done students ministry for a bit. How many times are like, guys, you can't like, don't joke around about this stuff. Like, yeah. Don't play games with demons. Like it's just like to go well, like at work the best at, case scenario is nothing happens. And that's right. the absolute best version of what happens. The right. worst case scenario and, does. Is you summon a demon? Like, like this is this is the epitome of like play stupid games, win stupid prizes kind of thing. Where it's like, like what did you expect? With like, hey, Taylor Swift has got words of wisdom, man. Like, really does. She really does. But like, it's like, yeah, what did you expect? Trying to find and summon demons, you get demons. Like, and that's what Tat is like. Oh, you're telling me the guy who's got a giant bird face and 20 claws and is known for his lack of mercy and his like appetite for like like people and for living beings and for murder. You're saying when we summon him, it's not going to go well? Yeah, I mean, this is that creepy friend that's just been waiting to get invited to a party and you finally invited him out of pity and wouldn't you know it? <laughs> He was there waiting to say, where's my hug? Oh, no, Chase. <laughs> Chase is over here just being like, all right, if we learned anything from this podcast, don't invite people to parties. You know what? Just don't go to parties. I mean, look, that's really the lesson of adulthood, if we're honest. <laughs> Chase is like, guys, I'm exhausted by people. So... Let's just cut this whole thing out. That any person that you know could be Tash. <laughs> That's the real lesson. Don't trust no one. All could be Tash. But alas, we have to go find Puzzle. And Puzzle, here's another part of it. So they go and find Puzzle. He's scared, obviously, and is waiting for the thing to go away. And he goes, man, I have been a very bad donkey. I should never have lived in the ship. I never thought things like this would happen. And like what the responses of Eustace and Jill here, I, I get, and I'm frustrated by both of them where it's like, Eustace is like, he's like, Hey, yeah, you should probably like try to like think about like, stop spending time saying you're not clever and actually try to be clever because I know you are like, use your brain. And then, so it's like, should like in this moment, does puzzle need correcting? Does he need admonishment? Maybe, but like Eustace is also giving him good wisdom. Yeah, and then Jill, and then Jill goes, "Oh, don't worry. Like he, like it was all a mistake. Let's just not address any of it." Where it's like, I don't think that's right either. 
Because I mean, I think they both, like, if they both offer what they had to offer without <clears throat> trying to shoot down the other ones, I feel like right. both answers, in a way, are right. Because, right. on the one hand, like, Eustace is right. The whole thing of puzzle being like, well, I'm not a thinker. Shift is a thinker, so I guess I better listen to him. Like that side yeah. of things is just a bad way to go through the world. And if we parachute out of this into the like, what is C.S. Lewis trying to teach children through this book? It's like you should use your critical thinking skills when people ask you to go along with things that don't seem right. Yeah. Um, but then on the other hand, how? Like, that's not where this started. And how could Puzzle possibly have known that demon summoning was going to be where this, <laughs> what direction this went? And you start with you, you just, like mother father routine of the, uh, of Jill and Eustace is actually yeah. helpful because, I mean, Puzzle does need a pat on the back and, like, no, like, Obviously, this was not your intention or goal. Right. Also, Eustace is like, you well, need to what can use we your learn brain. from how to move forward from this? Like, both are are needed, but neither one of them give each other space to. Uh, they both they both Agreed. go about it in a way that isn't fully helpful. Agreed, one hundred percent, Chase. Because they do, you do need to go like, hey, like obviously this isn't your fault, but like. If you're a good parent, you know, which like Jill and Eustace kind of are in this scenario, right? Like, it's weird, but you know, you, you're going like, hey, man, like, you, you do have to learn, right? Like, or if you're walking through a mistake with someone, you have to go, hey, like, I love you. I care about you. Know that that's secure. But you have to learn how to, like, think better. And, like, you have to grow so that these things don't continue. But, you know, Chase, sometimes you're just... You just want some fruit and some grains, and then you end up summoning a demon. Um, it just—it is what it is. It's the natural flow of order. Yeah. If only Puzzle had been confident enough to say that he actually didn't want more bananas. He, none of this would know, have ever happened. None of this would have ever people, happened. If people could honestly just be able to be honest about what they want for dinner instead of having to go along with what other people want, this would this demons would never show up. Right. And it's tough as well, because like That's a very adult making plans with friends complain. Oh yeah. As we're learning chases, chases introversion is really showing through right now. It's been a bit months. <laughs> but as we've talked about, especially in the first few chapters, like obviously puzzle is being manipulated and he's being taken advantage of by uh oh my gosh i'm blanking on the ape's name because they just refer to him as the ape uh shift shift uh which is a good name for you know a shifty creature but a little on the nose but you know it's a little on the nose uh but out of uh, like obviously he is taking advantage of and manipulating puzzle and so you can't just go like oh puzzle's intent is the wrong thing but you have to go hey like you have to like there are people in the world who are going to try to take advantage of you, who are going to try to harm you and are going to try to do like wicked things. 
we have to be aware of that and we have to go, no, like your this is wrong. This is untrue. You know, and and so I think that's kind of the lesson that like for kids, it's like, hey, when people are evil, it is our role to try to like we have to be able to discern what is good and what is wrong. And we have to follow and stand up for what is true and good. Yeah. But we now make our way to Jewel, who, you know, hadn't really been able to tell them anything, uh, apparently, to this point. Uh, somehow they haven't had a conversation about Jules' imprisonment until just now. Uh, things that you think would have happened in the last chapter. Uh, but alas. And I didn't bother to go back and look at the last chapter to see, did they start talking about this and got interrupted by looking up and seeing Tash coming? Or did is this just him awkwardly dropping a new conversation into the middle of something else that's happening? I mean, like, they made their way back to the tower, you know? Like, they had they had escaped from the camp and gotten back to the tower because that's where Puzzle went into. So it's like, well, they're at least there, you know? But uh, Jewel uh, tells them, like, I don't really have a lot to say because I didn't hear anything and I got kicked a lot. And I did, I did my own kicking, too. Uh, but uh, they were, like, set to execute uh, Jewel if he didn't, you know falsely like give false testimony supporting their false Aslan. And he's like, nah, I won't do it. And then eventually he was rescued and it was great. Uh, and so they decide to make their way uh, back because they're like, Hey, we got two choices and we can either try to go and convince everyone uh, at stable Hill that this, that puzzle was Aslan all along, or we could try to go fight a rune with, and the, you know, the army of Narnia and they make the wise choice. Yeah. Choice. They make the right choice knowing what they know. They knowing do go they try know. to, uh, try to meet up with the army. Yeah. The, uh, Alas though, as a, as master of foreshadowing would have you, that may not work out in the end. Which for me, that's just like a, writing complaint of why <laughs> why can't you let us be in the moment of where we're at in the story instead of letting us giving the, this, of this right. one word. I think this moment becomes more powerful if instead of like like there we still have a lot of walking to get through and they decide to go through they're like well you know what more harm could the ape do in a day or two? Clearly a lot. Right, yeah. like I mean, he's only been at this for like a week, and he's already so destroyed like, Narnia. <laughs> it's like clearly a lot, but alas, you know, it's still the right decision. Um, and like they still have to like go, you know, back towards Care Paravel. They'd have to do all their marching. They've got to talk about all the shrubbery. They've got to wash their black face off. Like they they have a lot to get through before they get there. But this moment of revelation would become so much more powerful if instead of an eagle flying down to tell them, hey, everything's wrong, if it's like they walk up, you know, Mulan and the army coming upon the, you know, the destroyed rubble of the village and like like all of the bodies strewn about. It's like, oh, yeah, we've been conquered. The, like, what that happened? hits harder. Yeah, or if they had like, come across Runewit's body by himself 
And yeah, him the Eagles trying to say, escape. I was there in his last moment. Just give us his last moment. Um, which is an interesting, yeah. But the before we can get to any of that, we do have to go wash our faces and uh, and wander through the woods because it wouldn't be C.S. Lewis without that. At least, Chase, we are now done with the blackface in this book. Uh, yep. So, at least to my knowledge, I'm pretty sure. I, um, I assume so. I, I love the logic of, well, if they're going to go meet up with Army, they've got to make sure that they uh, don't get mistaken for Calamines and killed by all those totally living Narnian soldiers. I was like, at this point, not to like, not to argue that like what they did in the first place was good, but they probably would have been more successful in their journey if they just, you know, continued in their Calamine disguises. Yeah. I mean, I would have been happy to forget that that's what they were dressed as in the first place and just let them go through and roll deception checks. But, you know. <laughs> they're they're all just going like, like, ooh, Jill rolled a, Jill rolled a three. Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's a bummer. She stumbles and, uh, like, everyone sees that she's not actually a calorie and they fight. Uh, but, but, I mean, like, no, they, the whole... The whole reason they put all this stuff on in the first place, they didn't need any of that when they were actually there. Like, it's not like they, like the only moment of them tricking some calories into thinking that they were all. They immediately attack them. They're in the dark and then they also immediately attack them. So it's like, why why do we This was such an, it was such an unnecessary plot point to like move through. Where yeah. it's like you you didn't need it, and like I think the intent was like, ooh, this could be fun, and like here's a little like flavor and like something that you know could be neat. And it's like, yeah, but you really, crafty. yeah, it's like you really didn't need it though, and yeah. like that's the issue. Uh, but alas. They wash all of their makeup off. They put all the Narnian armor on. They get Narnian swords and shields. And Tyrion's like, ah, I feel, he goes, body of me, that's better. I feel a true man again. Because he definitely wasn't a true man before. What? Yeah, what does that even mean? I mean, sure, your own clothes feel better than your costume. But also, like... Did you not feel like a man before? What to quote Shania Twain, "Man, I feel like a woman." So I mean, I guess so did Tyrion. It's so did. It's it's a weird line. It, I wish he had said, "I feel like myself again." Yeah, I mean, I do kind of want to start using "body of me" as an expression in life. Body of me. Oh, body of me. By Odin's beard. <laughs> Grandmother's spatula. Uh, those are Grandmother's all. Spatula. I believe these are all from like the end of Anchorman when they're like doing the bloopers <laughs> of like just random things Will Ferrell was shouting. But uh, yeah, so they all take off their disguises and then they're like, ah, not you, Puzzle. And he's like, but it's so hot and itchy. And they're like, suck it up. Like, just. <laughs> You, we, there's no way we could just carry this lion skin with us. We have to have it on you at all times. 
Yeah. What if they need to prove that he was the fake Aslan? I mean, or really what is, if they need to? What if they really want to fake Aslan themselves? Like, I mean, at that point, I mean, that's the most practical way out of this. Um, I really, I struggled with that because I'm like, you should let Puzzle out of this costume, but also. There's no way that you're going to be able to convince people that this is what was happening if you don't leave it on because you're not going to be able to put it back together. Like it's sewn on to him. Um, Absolutely. So it it is a weird situation for them to be in. Um, But yeah. But alas, Chase, we get to our favorite part of Henry Narnian chapter walking. And because we love us some good Narnian chapters uh, of walking, even Jill agrees, this is really Narnia at last. And they're walking and singing Narnian marching songs and Poggin and, you know, Eustace are like, oh, let me tell you about Narnian trees and birds. And Eustace is like, well, let me tell you about English ones. It's very like Samwise Gamgee. Man, it really isn't a Narnia book without... A solid, let's walk through the woods and talk about trees. Look at that tree over there. Isn't it so nice? Oh, look, that tree's leaf is budding. Great. Hey, let me tell you about trees that aren't even in here because I like other trees too. The only book where I don't think we got an actual description of what it's like to walk by a tree was Voyage of the Dawn Treader. No a description trees. of what it's like to watch water go by when you're on a boat. He's like, dang it. There's no stinking trees on the ocean. Why did I write this stupid book? Let's just get it done with with weird episodes because I'm tired like I'm tired of just being surrounded by water. I painted myself into an ocean. Yeah, uh, which is tough. The weak face. Yeah. Uh but you know, Jill, she's not interested in trees. She's interested in Jewel the Unicorn, who's apparently, you know, she's fallen in love with. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is because a weird in case thing. we're wondering whether she's still a girl, it's <laughs> she loves herself a unicorn. Uh, and like she thought, and she wasn't far wrong, said C.S. Lewis, that he was the shiningest, delicatest, mm-hmm. and most graceful animal she had ever met. Shiningest and delicateest, Chase. Why not shiniest? Why shiningest? Most shiny, most delicate. He's an English teacher, Chase. Shiningest, would that be like he is also a demon and they have a psychic connection? Are they shining? Only in only in Stephen King books, I believe. Uh, But no, they're so they're talking, and Jill's like. Man, like this is beautiful, but I I wish Narnia wasn't always so hectic. And and Jewel's like, well, that's kind of a misrepresentation of our history because really we're a pretty peaceful area. Y'all only are around and are summoned when the things are really bad. Yeah, I so only like, just, it's only fun to write a book if there's something to talk about, right? Or when there's like, like God forbid you were writing a book about like Narnians alone. Like we need to make sure that there are like earthen humans there. Oh yeah. 
Well, otherwise you would miss the metaphor. Yes, absolutely. But Chase, he begins to go on this diatribe about Narnian history and how there were hundreds and thousands of years with peaceful kings and nothing to write about. But then there's a few things that make me a little bit confused here. And the first one, yeah, he goes, he, he spoke of Swan White the Queen who had lived before the days of the White Witch in the Great Winter. And then talks about King Gale, who was ninth in descent from Frank, the first of all kings, and how he had sailed to the you know Eastern Seas and delivered the Lone Islanders from a dragon, and how the, that's when the Lone Islands became part of Narnia. What the heck is Narnian history, Chase? What, like, specifically from Aslan creating and Frank being king to the reign of the White Witch? Because it's broad and confusing. I mean, it also doesn't help that, like, between the two characters that were told, sure. only one of them is said to have done something. And, right. like, I kind of wish we had, like, well, there was this king who built Care Paravel, and then there was this queen who made it so that this festival was celebrated. And, like, right. it really does, like, the hand-waving of it all really, like, he straight up says, there were some years where so little happened that we forgot that they were years. Like, that's... <laughs> we, there, we didn't even, we couldn't really put anything in the history books, Jason. Yeah, we couldn't write anything down because just nothing happened. It was just a good time. We just had yep. we just ate dinner and like played games and stuff. Um, maybe this, maybe this is why the White Witch was able to take over so easily. I mean, probably, but it really like. What about like the giants in the north, or like geopolitical situations with Calamine to the south? Like, <laughs> what about the development of Narnian society? What yeah. about <laughs> like? We, like the Calamines, the Telmarines, the like the giants, the there's so many things that just like bad, whatever. Uh, and like, when did the White Witch come into power? How did she come into power? Yeah, like, I mean, she, she was, was there. there from day one. Like, we know that we saw that. <laughs> was she just chilling in her ice castle, just biding her time? Like, I mean, she ran off to the north after eating her apple. Mm. Um, but like from there, it's just kind of, uh, I assume that she went to find her magic wand and gain ice powers because that's a change from where she lived before to now. Yeah. Um, it's a little, you know, a little up in the air and they just, C.S. Lewis just has this unfortunate tendency of bringing things up that just arise more questions. I'm like, you didn't need to. Because the whole point of this was to get to the conversation where Jill goes, oh, I just can't wait for things to get back to good ordinary times. And, you know, I hope those times go on forever and ever. Right, Jewel? Aren't things going to be just great in Narnia forever and ever? And he's like, um, well, you know, all things come and come to an end. She's like, well, I hope that's millions and millions and millions of years away. Am I right? Wink, says C.S. Lewis to the audience. 
as you started this book with The Last King of Narnia. <laughs> it's called The Last Battle. Like, yeah. If you weren't, if you didn't know yet, things are bad and they're ending. Oh, but but they'll go on forever and ever. And like Jules, like nope, only Aslan's own country. And again, C.S. Lewis is like nudge, nudge, wink, wink, foreshadow. And by yeah, foreshadow, really, telling you. I wish that he had been more descriptive of the things that would make Jill want it to go on forever. Honestly, just telling me they ate dinner and partied sometimes doesn't sound that. <laughs> yeah, but like sustaining. Like yeah, but what about that? Static like, is that not lady, good. Well, what about that lady who sta- stared into the forest pool at a, re- a reflection uh, and just stared at it for a year because nothing was happening, Chase? Like, it was didn't you remember that? That it reflected into the stars. Um, yeah. Yeah, I like. I get that C.S. Lewis is trying to let us down easy, in a way. He is trying to make sure that the apocalypse is handled with gentleness for the kids who are reading this book. But also, like, if you were going to put a philosophical conversation about whether or not the desire for things to end is a good or not. I feel like you could sell it better. <laughs> yeah. Like this, this doesn't, it, it feels kind of flippantly thrown in here in a random chunk. Whereas like, this could have been a really sweet thing of like, Hey, I'm like, put this with like them seeing like, again, we, we're about to, like, the last thing that happens in this chapter is they're going to, you know, meet the eagle. The eagle's going to fly down and tell all the bad news. Like, again, they could walk upon Runewit. They could see the dead bodies. They could see the conquest and, like, see Tash ruling over and go, I'm scared. Like, I'm scared for things to end. And then you have Tyrion and Jewel able to go, or like an Aslan appearance, you know, of like, hey, all things come to an end. And that's okay. Yeah. Because ultimately, Aslan's country won't. And like, that's how it should be. Yeah. And in any other... Because that is the... That would be a moment for Aslan right. to... Those words would be coming from his mouth. Right. And um, that is the message at the end of the book. Yeah. But I think the thing that makes this section with Jill taste weird in my mouth is that the to port over to the other to the real side of the analogy like when the bible talks about the that maranatha the lord jesus come lord jesus come um like the desire for things to end, the desire for the second coming, the desire for new creation, it's always rooted in an understanding of the corruption of our world and yeah. an understanding of the renewal that will come with the with the end, with that transition. And so yeah. that 
porting that over into a space where you don't have any kind of real sense of wrong and where right. you really do say like, no, it's actually perfect 99.9% of the time. It's really only when you're looking at it that it's bad. Like that actually makes it unsatisfying to yeah. come at it with a, but all things end because right. then it's you're more just saying, just... well, this would be good to go on forever otherwise. And that's right. just not the picture that if you just excised this portion out, then it would be perfect. Yeah. Which is but instead instead it needs to communicate the dissatisfaction with how things are. Yeah. When I think it misses the breadth of like the efficacy of sin. Like it's yeah. saying that like extensiveness that right. we would get if this was like a C.S. Lewis is in the Bible. We've said it every book. It's it's fine, but I feel like that's what makes that statement feel a little bit like. I mean, she is a child, but childish. Yeah. No, I'm with you. And eventually, you know, in Aslan's like spoiler alert at the end of the book, you know, we've talked about it already before, but like when Aslan is comparing Narnia to Aslan's country. Narnia and our world are just a an, an imperfect reflection of what is to come. That what is to come is greater and better and bigger and and all and sweeter and like it's like show that longing for something. Show that like this is fine, this is good, but there are still problems there. You know, so I I wish that that was communicated a little bit there in this. You know. Like if we like if we could just stay here, it would be great. And it's like, no, it wouldn't. Like you'd still have issues. Yeah, but and I feel like alas, like if he had let Narnian society degrade over more time than just a week, it would be an easier sell. Right. But because but this really happened like this week, <laughs> this week, and you know, only a few times in their history. Uh, and they just send some humans over to take care of it. Yeah, uh, they really only have like a total of six weeks of bad in all of Narnian. Which is, you know, all things considered, you know, you work with it. But uh, another, you know, one of those weeks of bad, unfortunately, is happening right now. And they see an eagle circling down to them. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's the flight of a talking animal for sure. And it's like. Yeah. Because that's obvious. You can Obviously, tell by the way know. that it's spelling out words as it's soaring <laughs> through the sky. The eagle is one of those planes, like that's releasing smoke behind it. Yeah, you just uh, see a smoke trail that says, "Hey, guys." It's just a. It's just a like an emoji lion that he's drawn, uh, and they're like, "Oh, for Aslan, cool." And he goes, like, you know, they they're like, "Oh, yeah," from far away. Hoggins, this random dwarf, is like, that looks like Farsight the Eagle. Yeah. Like, that makes sense to come from you, random dwarf we met last chapter. Who definitely wasn't associated with the king's armies at all. Like, who also wasn't there when the king sent for help in the first place. Like, whatever. Uh, yeah. But the, they're like, we don't know if it's friend or foe, but like, be prepared, you know, regardless. Uh, and eventually Farsight's like, hail king. And he's like, okay, hail Farsight, because you called me king. Like, you stroked my ego a little bit. 
I know that you're not a follower of that fake ape given his fake Aslan. And yeah. the eagle's like, well... Because no one who's on the enemy side would know what my title is. Right. Like, it's it's not a, a statement of, like, I'm following you to just... Like, like if you were in battle, like, if we were, in, like, in a war with, I don't know, take your pick for whatever country, like, we would still go president so-and-so, king or queen so-and-so, like... Yeah that doesn't remove their title. Yeah, that's really the most basic thing about you when it comes to, like, you're the leader of this thing. Uh, But, you know, Farsight's like, well, technically you're right. I'm here for you. However, I don't have good news. And Tyrion's like, what do you mean? He's like, okay, well, I've seen two things. They're both pretty bad, uh, so brace yourself. The first one is that Care Paravel is just filled with dead Narnians, Chase. This is brutal stuff. Like, again, like, I, and part of me is like, I get it that it's a kid's book. You can't show, like, you can't show this straight up, right? Like, I mean, I I have an illustration here that would argue with you, Cal. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I guess. We've got a picture of a dead Narnian right here. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. Like you do have Runewit just like sprawled out on the ground. Yep, arrow inside. But like, if you were walking up and seeing like the aftermath of war yeah. in like medieval war with like bodies strewn over the ground, blood pooling around them, like soaping into the like into the ground, yeah. like most yeah. of them half dead, slowly dying. It's like it's it's brutal. So I get it, yeah. but I still think this would have been a powerful thing to walk upon, or at least to walk upon Runewit as he's dying, so that you don't have to see the full aftermath. Yeah, but, and I mean, I think if I were if I were rewriting this, I would have them walk upon Runewit because coming across one character with a single arrow in their side, who's on their like dying breaths. That makes and he's a centaur, so he was running away, you know. Yeah, that because then you also get into the like late stage Game of Thrones problem of characters just starting to teleport back and forth across the continent because it takes too long to walk there, and right. C.S. Lewis would never. But also, uh, it's just like it makes more sense to come across one than to get all the way to the castle just for where they sure. are. Sure. Uh, and if you don't want them to, like, if you need them geographically still somewhat close to Stable Hill, then, like, coming upon Runewit as he's escaping makes a lot of sense. And I think that would be great. And that way you could see, like, the character that we met at the beginning, you know, it pays, like, the, the reward is there, the return is there. He's like, oh, like, he's returning. I wonder if he has help. And, like, he's like, nope, he's actually dead. Yeah, uh, he but he actually probably could have survived this arrow wound if he hadn't pushed through to try to get news to the king. Like, right, that would have been more, or, you know, alive. something, you know. But alas, we hear, you know, how the Calarmines like stole upon the city from the sea. They had twenty ships, and they had, you know, embattlements like coming across the city from the like land, and they just destroyed everything. Uh, and then as well, you know, 
like Runewitz lying dead with an arrow in his side. And the last things that he told this random eagle to tell the king was to remember that all worlds draw to an end and that noble death is a treasure which no one is too poor to buy. Um, which is like super poetic and wordy for a dude who's got an arrow in his side. Also, what an extra way to say you might as well go and die. Yeah. I, <laughs> so one, very depressing. He's like, all hope is lost. And like King Tyrion is about to respond with, so Narnia is no more. Right. And like, that's, you know, it's a, it's a real, it's a real rough one, but I feel like this is the equivalent of uh, like the the parents on TikTok who are like, oh, I was talking with my toddler about, you know, uh, this thing. And my, you know, four-year-old responded with this really profound statement. And everyone's like, no, they didn't. That's a lie. <laughs> no, like no five-year-old is saying that. No, like, no, like, oh, like, like life is fleeting. And, you know, we are just here to live for the moment. So let's enjoy things while we can. No, no one said that. No, the they didn't. five-year-old with a darkness behind their eyes. <laughs> Deep right. bags. They haven't slept in weeks. It's like, no, they were talking about, like, you know, how, like, they, they couldn't find a place to poop. And so there's some behind the couch. Like, <laughs> don't, don't tell me about, you know, all these things. Tell like, me about how your week is going, Cal. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, no, like, I, I feel like this is like one of those things that happens in like stories and stuff where you're like, this person who's dying gave these incredibly profound words when it's like, dude, like, I feel like when people in the real world die, like, if especially if you're like in a mortal wound, you can't speak that eloquently. Like, yeah, that's, uh, that's why. Game of Thrones really does it well of acknowledging that death is not actually poetic. It's uh, just people gargling their own blood and uh, and we've already talked about poop, pooping themselves. Yeah. Um, you know what Ned Stark's final words were? Roughly. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's a paraphrase, but... That's at least what Arya heard. <laughs> she heard, shink, clunk. Uh, but it's, yeah, like that it's, this is a, you know, this is me nitpicking and, you know, not C.S. Lewis, but all of literature and fiction almost, or it's like people, people don't die giving like soliloquies. People die gasping and like going like, like at most, like, I love you. Like, I'm sorry. I just thought of an actual quote from Game of Thrones. Uh, I think it's the Queen of Roses that says, people's last words are often as profound as their first. The first words are like, ball, mama. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, so I, it's, this is uh, not a C.S. Lewis gripe, but it is just an everyone gripe. Because basically he's setting up the king's last line of Narnia is no more. Which, like, out of way to be bleak. Uh, but, I mean, he's not wrong. Because, you know, he is in the last battle. And he is the last king of Narnia, says C.S. Lewis. So. Yeah, and the, like, one building in Narnia has been taken. So, <laughs> Right. 
So all that's left that is, is that tower they were in, and that's filled and, with uh, green hey, clothes too. Don't don't forget about uh, the, that mound of dirt that they had that huge fort under, and um, you know the the stone table that transports around. Oh yeah, let's uh, let's go to Aslan's Howl and just do a replay. <laughs> let's get Bacchus in here. See where he's storing his wine and his nymphs. Yeah, uh, where where are all the Greek gods? Where are the wood nymphs? Where what happened to the rest of Narnia? Bacchus is over here. Like they came for the Narnians, and I said nothing because I was not a Narnian. But when they came for my wine and nymphs, there was no one left for me. <laughs> the the real tragedy of this story. <laughs> no, <laughs> like there's a uh, oh man, I'm forgetting his name. He's the dude in in Star Wars. He's on the Jedi Council. Um, oh, I'm I'm blanking. He's the dude with the really long head. Uh, but he he's like whenever they're talking in Revenge of the Sith about all the things going wrong and like getting General Grievous, he's like, but what about the droid attack on the Wookies? Uh, that's how I feel like Bacchus is, where he's like, but what about my wine? <laughs> Uh, and no one will weep for him, for there was no one left. And there was no one left. Uh, but Chase, uh, that's all I've got with this <laughs> chapter, unless you've got anything else. I mean, I feel like a bleak place to end is the right way to end this chapter. A bleak place to end, uh, and, and what a better, uh, more bleak way than telling our listeners that if you would like to, you know, spread the wealth of this podcast and the, you know, cynicism that Narnia is no more and that it's coming to its swift end, as is this podcast, you can share it uh, with, you know, your friends, share it with whoever by uh, following us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Audible, Spotify, you know, wherever you find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Leave us a comment. Go follow us on Instagram at, at the Chronicles of Podcast. Keep up with Chase as he posts pictures of dead Runewit and scary Birdmen. Uh, and you know, that way you can, you know, enjoy what we're seeing in the pages. Uh, and, uh, you know, as we like, like we're in the final half of the final book. And, yeah. uh, so now this we're, it's, the, it's, this was the middle chapter. It is all downhill from here. It, like as if it hasn't been since day one, uh, I'm, but as if it hasn't been since, uh, book three. So, so here we go, guys, we're, we're. <laughs> Further, further down and further out, uh, or something like that. Uh, but Chase, until then, just just remember that, like, no matter where you are, there will be trees around you. Some of them are oak trees, pine trees, birch trees, trees that are brown, trees that are green. So podcast is no more. <laughs> that was great. I was trying to just like, as I was talking about trees, get slowly quieter and quieter. I liked it. As I liked I, the idea of you fading into the background as I stare into space and just ponder the death of all things. <laughs> that no, but no one can see you staring into space. <laughs> this is an audio medium. <laughs> What? <laughs> Chase has been face acting for years and all of it unappreciated. Why have I been dressing up in costumes for every recording then? <laughs>